My name's Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you and uh, online people too. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for helping with the food drive today, you guys. That's awesome. You can give yourselves a round of applause for doing that. You're so humble. Like, how about give everybody else a round of applause besides you? Do it again. Good job on the food drive, all right? So good work. Grateful for what you guys are doing. So uh, another thing, just in the, <laughs> a little glimpse of me this morning, if you ever had one of those colds, it's not like bad enough to knock you out, make you stay home, but it's enough to let you know it's there. Kind of got one of those going, so um, I just feel like just a step behind, and you guys would probably say, well, we can't tell any different. You're always kind of a step behind, so uh, thanks a lot for that. So um, she said, no, we don't think that, so but whatever. So... I am super excited to get to preach uh, today. Um, we are looking at the first 11 chapters in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And I told you last week, one of my friends heard we were doing that, said, wow, you guys are brave. And actually, I think we're going to be really blessed. Like, there's some great truth, uh, great um, subjects for us to talk about over these weeks. And so today, we're going to really see the heart of God for you. Like, what does God think about you. Last week was a lot about the galaxies and all of that, but today it's like, what does God think about you? And that's pretty cool. So uh, let me invite you just to read our passage. Uh, so if you could stand up, and the, the words will be up on the screen, and I'll read them, and we'll just use this time to get us focused together on the Word of God, and I'll pray for us, and um, we'll jump into it. So uh, Genesis 1, we're going to start reading in verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let me pray. Father, would you teach us this morning about who we really are? Would you remind us today of who you are and your greatness and your goodness and that we have this privilege of being called image bearers? of the Almighty God. So I'm going to give you a chance, a little space here to pray and ask God to teach you something that you especially need this morning. Maybe he needs to encourage you, uh, needs to remind you of, of a promise he's made to you, or maybe he needs to kind of challenge you to action. Could you just ask him, God, I'm here in your presence. I want you to speak to me. Just talk to him right now. Ask him to speak to you. <clears throat> Guys, if you would say a quick prayer for me too, just that I would be clear, that I would point you to the text and to the truth of God's word. Would you just pray a quick prayer for me? God, we love you. Speak to your people. And may we listen. May we do what you call us to do. In your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Grab a seat. All right. So we're going to start with the God whose image we bear. Let's start talking about who that God is. So it'll be a little bit of a reminder or a recap of what we saw last week in Genesis 1, 1 to 25. 
This God whose image we bear is an amazing God. He's the creator God. Remember we said last week, we think that these first five books of the Old Testament are written by Moses, and most likely it happened after God's people had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And so now they have left Egypt, and for 400 years they've been in a culture where they've heard about a lot of other gods. They've had a lot of different theories about how everything got here and who we are. And so God really wanted his people to know the absolute truth, that there is one creator God. In fact, we, we saw this last week, that when in the days of creation, we see everything that God made. I think one of the purposes of the way Genesis 1 is laid out is it's kind of like a confrontation against all the small g gods of the Egyptians and other cultures. That God created the sun and the moon and the stars, when a lot of cultures in that day were worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars. Or that God created the ocean and the creatures in them, and people a lot of times would have gods of the oceans. And so God is trying to get his people's attention and say, hey, you know what? There is one God. And out of all the gods in there, I am the true God and you can worship me. Like, let me just save you time. In fact, last week, last couple of weeks, I've kind of knocked the Egyptians for having one of their gods being a cat. Like, and I, how much trouble can you be in if you're leaning on for all your hopes, a cat. I think you're in big trouble, right? So God is just saying like, hey, don't worship all these other small g gods. I'm here. Worship me. I'm the great God. And so uh, that's been powerful. It, one of my favorite things is just look at the galaxies. We threw this out last week. The, the sun is a very average star, um, 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, about 30,000 degrees at the core. And yet the sun is very average, one out of like, uh, there's 100 billion stars in our galaxy, 100 billion galaxies. So I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but to get to a billion, if you just start accounting one, two, three, to get to a billion would take you 31 years. Like, so this is like the, the vastness, the supremacy of this God we're talking about. The number, I mean, to make one sun, we'd be in, in awe, but he's made 100 billion stars, 100 billion galaxies. So that's, that's how awesome our God is. And so, but I think the next question that might come to your mind would be, okay, this, I get it, or I'm trying to get it, that this God is great and he's supreme and he's so vast. In fact, like, remember we've talked about when you look at the size of the universe, you think, why is it so big? It's like, well, I think God is trying to just proclaim to us how big he is. Like the glory of God is shown in the immensity of creation. Okay, okay, we're trying to get our heads around that. Okay, God is great. We're getting that. But I think our next question after that would be, but what does God think about us? Like, it's great that he's great and awesome, but what kind of God is this? And what is his view towards someone as small compared to all of his creation, someone as small as us? It's a great question to ask because in this day when Moses was writing to his people, there were different views about what the gods thought about people. Like, in many cultures, the, the gods made people to serve them. Like, people are slaves of all these gods, or, or that, that these gods made people to serve them, to feed them, to provide for them. And so there'd, there'd be all kinds of confusion about, okay, well, what does this one creator God think about us? And so, and so 126, when you get to verse 26 in Genesis 1, you, you kind of see this heart of God for us open up, right? So verse 26 uh, where it kind of takes a new rhythm. Like as you read through the days of creation, there's kind of a flow and a pattern where God would just speak in his words, let there be, and then, then there was, and a description of what there was. And then God would name it, and then God would pronounce it good. And so that's the rhythm and flow until you get to verse 
or day six. And God's already done that now with the land creatures, the land animals. But then verse 26 breaks the rhythm. And that's where God says, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. And then it goes on, and we read most of this, that he gives us dominion. He blesses us. And then at the end of the chapter, we didn't read this, is that he, he promises to provide food for us. Like right away, you see so many differences, not just in the other creation stories, but within creation itself. So many differences about who you are and who I am. We're uniquely created in the image of God. God blesses us. All, all the first people did was show up and God blessed them. Like they didn't prove themselves or they didn't do a bunch of good stuff. Like God just blessed them. And then God is the one that provides for them. That's, that's the picture of what it means to be in the image of God. And so um, we are, think about two words this morning. It's really helped by different commentators on this. But think of two words. We think of you bearing the image of God. Think of the word connect and then the word reflect. Like you were created uniquely to connect with God unlike all the rest of creation. You've heard me say this before. My dog Bubba has never gotten on his knees with paws extended praying to God. Like he doesn't, as far as I know, he has no clue there's a God, right? So there's something vastly different between how people pursue and relate to and worship God than the rest of his creation. God made you uniquely to connect with him. And then we'll talk about this too, that you are made then beyond that to reflect God's image, okay? And so, and so I love Psalm 8 when David just started getting his head around what God thinks about him. I picture David being out on maybe one of the late summer nights we saw before all this rain moved in, like at night when you see all the stars. I just picture David out on one of those nights, and in Psalm 8, he says this to God. He said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you should even care for him? Like that's what this whole concept of the image of God should do to us. It should floor us. How should such a good God, I don't know if you've ever thought about how small you are compared to everything else God has made. Let me just tell you, save you a bunch of time. We're small, guys. We're like a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck. And yet what God wants us to know is just as he is so infinite, he also longs to be intimate with every single one of us. That says so much about him as much as it does about us. We are that loved and that valued. So God wants us to, to connect uh, with him. And then beyond that then, God wants us to reflect his image. Like and in, in, in a lot of the ancient times, when a king would take over a land or an area of territory, that king would put up statues of himself to remind everybody in there who's in charge or who's the authority in that land. And so that statue would be a, a reflection of the one who truly rules. Like what, what an amazing calling for us is that God is scattering us uh, throughout the Iowa City area. Tomorrow you're at work, you're at school. Like God has a plan for you to go to those places and be a reflection of him. So the two statues, and I was trying to think, do we have anything like that in Iowa City? I think of that little, it's not that little, it's like life-size, uh, statue of Hayden Fry, like a, kind of by that come and go across from the Marriott. Like sometimes I keep forgetting it's there, and every once in a while I think, wow, who's that? And I say, oh, that's Hayden. Like it, at first I think it's a person, but it's, 
It's Hayden Fry, right? It's interesting. And the other one I think of is the Niall Kinnick statue uh, outside of Kinnick Stadium, right? And you just think about, okay, why, why did they pick those two people to make statues out of? Like if we're trying to make a statement about Iowa football, you don't pick the coaches like they went 0-11 for a lot of years or got caught in cheating recruiting scandals or any of those kind of things. Like you're not kind of making statues of those football coaches or like you don't have a statue of me outside of Kinnick. Like one year we made it to the finals in flag football uh, intramurals, you know. I got to play on Kinnick once. There's no statue of me there. You got some, you got, you got now Kinnick because he, he just embodies like courage and commitment and good player and all that kind of stuff. So what, what, a, what a unique calling for us, like on a way grander scale than Iowa football, that God sees you as, as that, as an image bearer designed to reflect how great God is, like wherever you go throughout your life. So think about connecting and reflecting. In fact, if you could just simplify, uh, this is our identity and this is our mission. Like our identity is that the creator of everything looks at you and he loves you and he made you and he designed you and you're here for a purpose. You guys, that is the ultimate identity. That is the ultimate source of significance. And then you go, well, what do I do with that? Well, your calling then is to reflect God. And so the more you connect with God and just his love and his life is poured into you and that begins to overflow, then you just, your calling is to go and share that and reflect that with the people you meet, uh, the people you live next to, the people you work with. Like you are here to reflect what God is doing as you connect with him. Pretty simple and pretty awesome, right? That's, that's image bearing. And when I, I show Lori my sermons and, oh, actually, so you go just a little bit further at the end of day six and God looks at this setup and he calls it very good. Okay, so every other day was just good, 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 good. You get to the end of day six, and we're on the scene, image bearers, connecting, reflecting. God looks at that and goes, that is very good. Pat yourself on the back a little bit. Like, that's like that's what God thinks about you. That's what you're here to do. And God said, that is really awesome. And so um, I, I was going to this morning. I showed Lori this early this morning. I said, could you just read through this? Let me know. And I, I told her this, like, from my heart. Like, I wish this sermon could just end right there. Because this is like, this is so cool. This is so awesome. Um, but you got to ask, you got to ask the question, but so what happened? Like what, I don't, I don't feel this or, and it's certainly when I look in the world today, I don't see like everybody just finding their identity and their relationship with God. Or I don't see people reflecting God and God's love to each other. In fact, you're just struck by how far we have drifted from this. And I think when we're in this passage, you got to ask, well, well, what happened? And so, little spoiler alert, we're going to see this, I think in three or four weeks, when we hit Genesis 3, that the first man and woman rebelled against God. And so when Romans was making a comment on that, listen to what the book of Romans says. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So instead of worshiping the glorious God of all of creation, this good God who wants to provide for us, we started worshiping created things, beginning with 
the created thing we see in the mirror every day. You guys, just absolutely twice that passage in Romans says, that is absolutely foolish. Again, and it really is when you look back. Like, you look at the God who made us, the God who offers to provide for us, and basically in Genesis 3 and then trickling through every human being since then, we have said to this God, you are not enough. Like, I I need more. I can't trust you. I don't believe that you're good. So I'm going to push you aside, and then I'm going to be God. In fact, I'm going to decide what I'm going to pursue and worship besides you. Guys, that is the epitome of sin. That's the epitome of rebellion against God. And Romans 1 says that's the epitome of foolishness. It really is, you guys. And sometimes we're so close to it, we don't just see it how starkly foolish we are to just kind of push aside this whole thing of the image of God. There's a book that the teaching team is using in this series by Richard Lintz, L-I-N-T-S. He's the author of a book called Identity and Idolatry. He says there's three questions that we need to ask ourselves about our idols. Like what are the, the, the small g gods that we are putting on the throne of our lives instead of the true God? Three questions you ask yourself is where do our hopes lie? Like, what are we really hoping in to fulfill us? What gives me the most significance? What gives me the most significance? And what do I truly want to become? Like, what, what, what am I striving for? What do I want to become in my life? So we've really been created to worship the God who uh, wants to satisfy us, the God who created the galaxy. So not just any run-of-the-mill God, like the God. And so that's how we're wired to pursue that God and be satisfied by that God. But when we push that God aside, any small g God we put on there is going to be absolutely deficient. It just will not work. Like our souls are wired to find meaning, depth, purpose, love, significance in God. We push him aside. Man, anything we throw up is going to be super frail, and it's going to make us super fragile, afraid, anxious. Man, that's a good descriptor of our world today. You just look through any, any of the demographics. If you took our country by 10-year slices, you see things like despair and hopelessness and suicide um, all just kind of running throughout because I think we are living in a time where more and more our identity isn't grounded in the place that it should be. We are not living as image bearers. And so um, what that does to us is, uh, again, it causes us to live in a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. So uh, this morning when I was downstairs uh, studying early this morning, when it rains sometimes, especially in the fall, we get some of those big old spiders, like, you know, some of those big hairy guys that show up. So there are a couple of them. It's kind of a spider theme going on in my life the last couple of days. The other thing is totally random. Like I was walking in the office this morning. I don't know how many hundreds of times I've walked in that office door. But for some reason this morning, there was a big old spider web right across there. And so Ned and a couple of guys were out there doing the food drive. And I walked through that web. Have you ever like, it has to look absolutely foolish to somebody at a distance watching you walk into a spider web. You're like, ah, you know, and they, they can't see what you're doing, but you're there just kind of like getting all this stuff out of your face. You look so, and then a couple days ago, there's a spider thing that just dawned on me this morning. Like, so driving from North Liberty down North Liberty Road, and you got that little uh, cloverleaf, you know, where you got to take that tight turn about 20 miles an hour and then instantly be going 70 miles an hour to get onto 80, you know, so that little part right there. 
just of all times, like I'm just right around about halfway through that curve, maybe about ready to merge on, this spider just like drops down, <laughs> like right here. And so I'm just wondering what the other drivers were thinking next to me. He's like, they're like, oh, and I'm trying to speed up and keep it going. So, I mean, it just looked absolutely foolish. Those are all my spider ones for today. So, but three spider things in a row. But like, but that's like, you look at how our world's living today. Like we're just, again, we're basing our, our hopes and our satisfaction on things that we're not meant to do that for us. And what's, what's really sad is like, we'll even try to put uh, good things in that spot. Like we'll see in a couple weeks, like your work that you do, like what you, what you achieve as an image bearer is really important to God. But like your work, uh, your achievement, your studies really isn't meant to replace God. It's meant to flow out of you being an image bearer of God. But, but sometimes we'll push God aside and just pour so much of our hope and energy in what we do in our job. And then it can just become crushing or we get burned out. Or in that context then, uh, we start treating people bad or we compete or we gossip or we just, anytime you put something, even good things in that spot where only God goes, it's just devastating for us. And so we're seeing the results of that. We're seeing mass confusion in our world today. I was trying to picture it like this. Let's say you wanted to learn from some of the greatest scholars today about who you are. And let's say you went to that campus where all these just brilliant minds of the day who have rejected God, but they're there to teach you the best of what humanity has to offer today. And let's say in your first class, you would go in and the professor there would start talking to you about expressive individualism, that you can be whoever you want to be. Just look within yourself, define yourself. Your identity then can be whatever you choose it to be. And uh, you can decide because at the core of you, you are good. And what is best for this world is for you to just express who you think you are. And that's your best contribution uh, to this world today. There's no God. So that means there's no restrictions, no rules. You just do whatever you feel is right, and then you'll flourish. So that's your lecture there, and you're taking notes. That class ends, and now you go to your next class. You walk over a couple buildings. And let's say you step into like a science class. And there you're taught this. The universe um, that we see today is a result of random chance. And that includes you. Again, remember, we've removed God from the picture. So, so really, you've just kind of evolved over millions and millions of years. And when you get down to it, you are really just a random collection of molecules and atoms that just happen to all come together. And that's who you are. And maybe... Uh, that professor would then quote Richard Dawkins, who, a uh, famous atheist for many years, said, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties that you would expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Bell rings, and you go on. Have a great day. <laughs> pitiless indifference. Have a great one there. So you're just random chance. And so... I mean, you're coming out of this and wait, wait, am I good? Am I special? Like I can identify myself and wait, but I'm just kind of a random collection. And so, so what you're getting is the best of the alternative. Like if there isn't a God, then what does that mean? And then where do we find our identity? Where do we find our meaning? Where do we find our purpose? And so again, if we reject the image of God, it will do devastating things to us personally. 
We will constantly be on a performance treadmill, constantly trying to get people to agree with our now newfound identity and to support us. And it just leads, and we just see where it's leading people who are rejecting identity in an image of God. What's even more devastating, and this is the part I especially uh, am not excited to talk about, but we got to. But when you look in our world today, you look throughout history, that when the image of God is devalued, it doesn't just blow us up on the inside. So I would say that's on the micro level, like what it does to us personally. But then what's especially just um, devastating and sad, and I think should be even sadder, except we're maybe calloused as a people today, is that what it does on the macro scale, that when you just start wiping out that people are creating the image of God, and because of that, there's dignity and worth and value of every single person on the planet, when you just kind of take that concept out, what you're left with is now a bunch of people who are trying to find their own identity and who now God's intent was you connect with God and receive his love. And then the way you treat everybody else is that you reflect the love that God has given you. But if you break that and you're no longer connected to God and it's up to you to satisfy yourself, you basically look at the people around you and say, I'm going to use you. Like, I'm not going to serve you and love you. I'm going to use you. So I'm going to pick who are the people around me that are going to help me be what I think I need to be. Who are the people that are useful to me? Uh, Who are the people that are going to affirm me uh, or help me advance, help me get to the next place? And guess what I'm going to do to everybody else? Minimally, I'll ignore them. Like, they won't even matter to me. I won't even think about them. Certainly wouldn't help them. Um, But then even worse, uh, I would start to abuse them. I would start to use them. And that's what we're seeing happen on the macro scale uh, throughout history, that when you reject the image of God, just horrible things have happened. So let me just toss a couple out there. And can I just say up front, uh, I'm only going to mention like three. These are devastating. Like you could probably be sitting there going, how come you just picked those three? Like, how come you didn't? It's like, I'll just confess. Like, I'm a broken man, too. And there's so many places we can point to look at. But can I just point out racism, for example? That when, when you get this mindset that, that if people can contribute to me and are worth anything to me, then I'll respect them. But if not, I can just push them aside. And just how that's really the core and the heart of racism. When one whole group looks at another whole group and says, you guys don't matter. You guys aren't as good. You guys... You know, we'll, we'll maybe use and abuse you, but no, you, you are not of the same value as I am. I, it's absolutely devastating. In fact, when Martin Luther King was fighting against that in our country, it was the image of God that he was kept pleading to. He says, there's no gradations of the image of God in people. It's not like some people have more and some people have less. We all are image bearers, but when you push that aside, you see the tragedy and the devastation of racism. In fact, gosh, we pat ourselves in the back about how advanced we are as a people now and how far we've come. But in the last 100 years, you guys, over 100 million people have been killed in genocide and one whole people group trying to wipe out a whole other people group and so many of them by godless regimes around our world today. It is just absolutely horrific what happens when you just remove this basic but profound concept of the image of God. So you got racism. Let me bring up another tough one here. What about abortion? Google this guy sometime this week. The guy's name is Stephen Jacobs. Stephen Jacobs, University of Chicago. When you Google it, you'll probably need to go Stephen Jacobs, University of Chicago, 
Life begins at conception. And it's a long Google one, but this will get you right to where you need to go. Let me tell you about Stephen Jacobs a little bit. It just came out this summer. He's a grad student, University of Chicago, has been doing research for like eight or nine years. And for the last five years, he's been trying to get permission from his higher-ups to do the research and then to publish it. And here was his basic premise that if I were to interview, he, here was his premise, I'm going to interview, uh, I'm, I'm thinking between 1,000 and 1,500 biologists in our country and just ask them the basic question, when does human life begin? Guys, you should just read about the opposition he faced and even just being able to do that research and then when he got it, to be able to publish it. But what was astonishing to him was across the spectrum of people's personal, these biologists' personal convictions on abortion, right to life, whatever, uh, a large majority, guys, like 80, 90% said uh, that life begins at conception. Biologically speaking, that a vast majority of scientists in our country today say that's when life begins. Because it is so interesting to just watch when science is upheld as a standard that, hey, we need to believe this science. And it's like, but then there's other times where, well, yeah, you know, let's, let's not publish that science. Let's not let that science go. Then in spite of the scientific facts even, and we, we know from Bible, God designed us, he, Psalm 139, we're knit together in our mother's womb. It's no, no doubt what God thinks about when life begins. Uh, but but we're in a culture today where it, the, the news came out this week that there have been 800,000 of these plus in the United States uh, this year, and that that's actually a good number because it's the lowest in 30 years. 800,000, you guys. Um, again, what are you just bringing up? I'm, I'm just sharing some that are close to my heart. In fact, you could here's another one. You could link the last two topics I just talked about and in New York City, for the last several years, I don't know how far back it would go, but the number of African-American babies who were aborted versus who were allowed to, to, to be born, the aborted ones have outnumbered the ones who are allowed to come to term. Like there's some, there's some, I'm not, I don't, I know as many layers to this, but there is something absolutely wrong here. And when you bring up abortion, such a, such a, sensitive subject. So many times I feel like the blame is placed at the foot of a woman for what she has done. Guys, another staggering, if you really dig into the numbers, like a vast high percentage of abortions are performed um, on women who do not have a man. The man who impregnated her is not committed to her in her life. He has not laid down his life for her. He has not committed his love to her. She does not have that security or stability from a man as God would have designed. And so, uh, so many times that may be blamed at the foot of a woman when really it's an irresponsible man at the core of a lot of those numbers who is not loving that woman, but who is using that woman. Which leads me into the third, to me, that just rips my heart as a father of two daughters. Just how our culture today is just degrading women through pornography, uh, through human trafficking. Um, guys, these are not easy things to talk about. But these are exactly the horrific things that happen when you reject the simple teaching of the Word of God. I mean, the creator of the universe says, connect with me. Let me love you. Let me bless you. And then you reflect my love to this world. 
That's simple. That's what he invites us to. But when we reject that, guys, it's devastating to us personally, and it's devastating to the people in this world. So is there any hope? Like, what do you, what do, you do with this whole image of God thing now? And I want to point us back to the creator that we saw last week. I don't know if you were with us last week, but in Genesis 1-2, at the beginning of creation, here's how it described the world. The world was formless and void, and darkness covered the earth. Guys, if I look at the condition of the image of God today, those would probably be some pretty good descriptions. Well, what did God do in Genesis 1-3 and forward? He spoke And in his authority, he created form, and then he filled creation, and then he pronounced it good. God can take a horrific setup and bring it back to a place where it is good. And so how did God do that? That is going to point us to the one image bearer, who the only one who was the the true image bearer of God, and that is Jesus Christ. Like He is our hope. Colossians 1 15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I'm going to read a few more verses here. The firstborn of all creation, for it means he's in first place out of all of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Like there's only one perfect image bearer, and that's Jesus Christ. Only one who perfectly connected with God because uh, he was God, but we need to talk about that in a little bit, and who perfectly reflected the love and the character in the nature of God. Only one has done that, and that's Jesus Christ. Maybe we're sitting here going, yeah, but he was Jesus. Like, he was God. Like, so remember, like, he's uniquely, of any person ever walked on the planet, fully God, but don't diminish that he's also fully man. That means when you look at the life of Jesus in his full humanity, he is showing us, he is modeling for us, like, what does it look like to image God, to be an image bearer, to connect and reflect? When you look at the life of Jesus, you should do this sometime. Like, just take a note of, of uh, the rhythms in Jesus' life. Like, how did he pursue God? How did he pursue his Father? Like, the times that he prayed, or the times it says that he often withdrew to solitary places and he prayed, or the time that he prayed all night long, or his knowledge of the Word of God, or um, the, so many times where his goal and his aim was to glorify his Father. Or when he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He was, again, you would think, okay, well, he's fully God. Maybe you say, yeah, I don't need to have a quiet time today. Yeah, I don't need to go pray today. I'm God. It's like, no, in his humanity, he modeled for us what it looks like to be an image bearer and how he connected with his Father. And then, guys, in no other way that any other person has ever lived, he then reflected the love of God. Because as he connected with his Father, he was so full of the life and the love of his Father that then he was able to reflect that to us to the point that he willingly laid down his life for broken image bearers like you and me. Like people who just did the most foolish thing to his father, who said, we don't need you, like we can be God. Like the stupid things we've done and then the horrific things we've done, either on the micro or macro scale 
to other people in our lives. He still moved toward us and he still died for us. He gave his life up because he was so connected with the Father that he was able to reflect the love of God for sinners like us. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. And so if you get your head around that, that's how this connection with God gets, re- gets restored. It's only through Jesus, and like we saw in Colossians, because Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. He made peace with the blood of his cross, you guys. So you can be forgiven, reconnected, connected to God, so that God can pour his life into you, so that you can reflect his love and his life to the people around you. In fact, Romans 8, 29 if you were to say, God, what's your, what's your purpose in my life? Like, God, what are you doing? What's your goal in my life? Romans 8, 29. There's a couple words. Don't get hung up on the first couple words. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's God's plan for all of us? It's to make us more and more like Jesus as we get connected with God, as he pours his love in us, so then we begin to reflect God's love to the people around us. So, it's so awesome, you guys. If you need some examples, what does that look like? Do a study sometime on the early church, like the brand new followers of Jesus right out of the chute, because they lived in a culture and in a society that had totally ignored this whole image of God. And you see how they were treating each other, uh, the, um, the atrocities going on, um, the infanticide, just babies being left out, particularly female babies, or the mistreatment of the poor or widows. And, and when Christians uh, began to gather and see that, it was the Christians who began to adopt and create orphanages. It was the Christians who came around the poor. It was the followers of Jesus who began to meet the needs of the widows. You see that in the early churches. They're reflecting who God is to the culture around them and the great changes they made. Because it, this whole topic has just led me to think on two levels, micro and macro, about you and me. Like, what, what if in the next week, like this whole image of God concept just got a hold of our hearts? And in a good way, God kind of like grabs us here and says, so what are you going to do with this? Like, what, what would you look like different? Like, what rhythms would be different in your life? And then how would the people around you be blessed differently than they are today as you reflect. And, and I'm excited. The next couple of sermons, like next week is about the Sabbath. Like it's about really connecting with God. And then the next one is about our work and about marriage and family and sexuality. Like those are great about reflecting, you know. So I like the rhythm of the next couple of weeks, connecting with God and then reflecting Him. But how, how would your life be different if you really took this image of God thing totally differently. Let's say Jesus was a 10, and right now we're like a point one, right? Let's say, like, what if we hit like a three or four? Like, what would even that step of just really taking seriously this whole privilege of being in the image of God do to you and your life and do to the people around you? And then I couldn't help but to think, like, on a, on a bigger scale. What about us as a church? Like, what would start to happen? And again, I, as I paused, and you look back, there are so many things this church has done that are just grounded in this truth of the image of God, the dignity of every person on this planet. I think things like a food drive today. You guys are providing food for people you don't even know, um, but you know they're in need, and so you're providing food for them. I think of over the last 15 years or more, it was just fun just reminiscing. Like, why are we even on the east side of Iowa City? 
And just some things started grabbing us as a church 15 or 20 years ago about people moving from Chicago, about the needs there. We saw in some of these kids' lives and families' lives, and we started befriending and building relationship. And the next thing you know, you guys, we had a spot. We have a campus over there. We have a school over there. When I run into pastors from other places and they hear, oh, you got a multi-site? Yeah, where'd you pop your first multi-site? Is it in like some big, fast, affluent, growing area, pouring money back into your budget? I go, no, kind of, kind of the opposite. But it's really where God is calling us to go, driven by the image of God concept. And thinking about the way that historically this church has come alongside orphan ministries, the way you guys have come alongside Rafa House, helping uh, victims of sex, sexual trafficking. Guys, there's so many ways. Like In one way, it's like, praise God for where he has taken us. But on the other hand, I wonder if we were to do a new look at this. Like, where are the other places? Who are the other people in our city today that we drive by, we don't even think about, that aren't even on our radar? That God is saying, you guys, there are so many people here that are just in desperate need of this whole concept, that there's a God who made them and loved them. There's some people who are hurting. There's some people who are in trouble that for whatever reason, we don't even think about them. I just wonder what that could look like next as God continues to grow this concept of the image of God in us. In the past, this church has done a good job of taking a stand for the unborn. Are there ways we could do that? And then are there also ways that we can be sure to welcome graciously any woman who has had an abortion or any man that has forced his girlfriend to do so? Can we still exhibit mercy, grace to all image bearers in this city. And so um, what I want to do is give you a chance to pray. And um, I want to pray over you first. And then I'm going to ask you to pray about a couple things. But as we, as we kind of close in prayer, I just want to pray for you. I want to say, Father God, thank you for everyone that's here, everyone that's watching online. Thank you that every person hearing my words has been created by you. You know every detail of their lives. They are here with a purpose. You love them. Your, your heart towards them is to bless them. And God, there's not, a, there's not a set of ears listening to what I'm saying right now that has been perfect or sinless, and that doesn't stop your love for us, your relentless move toward us. And we see that in the gospel. So God, I pray every person hearing my words right now would just know and believe the truth that they are of value and significance because the creator of the universe made them and loves them. So God, whatever lies they're believing, whatever things have been said to them or about them or done to them that, that is inconsistent with what I've just prayed, that you, creator God, made them love them, God, just may the truth win in each heart in this room. We are made by you. That gives us value and significance. God, we praise you for that. Now, can I give you a chance to pray and just thank God for being a creator who made you, loved you, and thank Jesus for being a, a savior who died uh, for broken image bearers. Go ahead and just thank God and thank Jesus for what he's done for you. Let me ask you to pray next for who comes to mind when you think about somebody in your life that really needs to understand this beautiful truth 
They've been created by God. They've been loved by Jesus. He's offering them forgiveness that God wants to connect with them so they could reflect him. God, who, who really needs to understand that in your life right now? Could you pray for that person? Just pray for that person right now. And then could you ask God, both on the micro and macro scale, to open our eyes to people maybe we walk by every day, we drive by every day, that God has on his heart right now, but they're not on ours for whatever reason. Just pray that God would open our eyes in fresh ways to people that we can reflect the love of God to. Okay, just pray. God would open your eyes to new opportunities to reflect the love of God. And then God, as you're doing that for each one of us individually here, I just pray you do the same thing for us as a church, that there would be open eyes, open hearts. God, if we're blinded now, we're just not seeing it now, that you would show us what you want us to do next as a church to really reflect your love to people who don't know you, people who are hurting, people we overlook. God, we praise you for being such an awesome God, the Lord of creation. I just agree with David. Who are we that you would even think of us? We just praise you for your goodness, your greatness, and help us be a people that truly live as image bearers this week, truly connecting with you and truly reflecting you to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.